Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Anthony. This is episode 29 of This Week in Sports. And on today's episode, we're going to focus on the college football playoff. The committee decided the final four teams are set. We have the Heisman Trophy winner, which will be announced this weekend. In baseball, we had a a big-time trade with Paul Goldschmidt. We had a couple of big-time free agent signings with Patrick Corbin. The trade with uh, Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz was finalized with the Mets. And on the NFL side, Mike McCarthy was fired after the Cardinals beat the Packers in an upset, dropping the Packers to 4-7. and seven. We have some um, news in the NBA. Markel Fultz has been diagnosed with thoracic outlet syndrome. Catch all that and much, much more on This Week in Sports. Let's go. You're listening to This Week in Sports. Hey, what's going on, everybody? I'm your host, Anthony. It is Friday, December 7th. This was a very slow weekend. We're, we're gearing towards the holidays, Hanukkah, Christmas is coming up soon. Everybody just wants that vacation. They want Christmas to get here. But anywho, it is Friday. It's another episode of This Week in Sports. This is episode 29. I can't believe we're at number 29 already. Feels like just yesterday that I started this show. Almost at the big 3-0. Before we get started, I have to give a big shout out. It is my grandmother's birthday today. She's still going strong, so happy birthday to you, ma'am. And without further ado, let's get right into it. We've got a lot to talk about college football. We'll get into some free agency, some trades in baseball. We're going to get to some football, of course, because that's the meat and potatoes every week while it's football season. And then, of course, there's a few uh, nuggets to go over in the NBA as well. So we're going to start with college football. And we start with, it seems like this was so long ago, but this was one week ago on Friday night, I believe. We had Washington taking on Utah for the Pac-12 title game. That was won, in fact, by Washington. No real surprise there. Washington's the better team. So the number 11 Huskies will now move on to the Rose Bowl game. It was a sloppy, sloppy game. They beat Utah by a score of just 10 to 3. I didn't really watch it much. Late West Coast game, you know, comes on real late on the East Coast. But anyway, so here's how this one went down. I'll just recap it for you real quick. Basically, low-scoring game again. Uh, pick six by ba- uh, excuse me, Byron Murphy in the third quarter was the difference in this one. He also had another pick with less than five minutes remaining, which essentially sealed the victory there. It's the first Rose Bowl appearance for Washington since 2001, so a long time. Washington really has, hasn't been on the map except for uh, more recent years with uh, Coach Peterson at the helm there in Washington. So we'll, we'll see. I'll get into who they're going to match up against a little bit later, but I don't want to reveal that just yet in case you're not all caught up. Next up, we've got Oklahoma. Again, these were the championship games because this was the final. Uh, this was the the conference championship games this week or last weekend. So that's what I'm recapping here. 
Oklahoma, they outlasted Texas in the Big 12 championship. As you guys remember, Texas gave Oklahoma their only loss of the season. So this was a very intriguing matchup. The number, uh, number five Oklahoma won its fourth straight Big 12 title, actually. Did not realize that, but they've been a perennial powerhouse in the Big 12 for, the, for many, many years, and more recently with Baker Mayfield. Uh, they win 39-27. to This game was a little bit closer than the score indicated. Texas led for a while, but... Um, when they needed it, Oklahoma defense stepped up. They actually got a strip sack, I believe, as Texas was driving, took that to the house, and then a safety later on. That's why this ended up a 12-point game. So Oklahoma, who can't stop anybody on defense, actually wins this game on a couple of big defensive stops. So go figure. Next up, we have UCF. This was an interesting one because they were without Mackenzie Milton again because obviously he had the horrific, gruesome leg injury that ended his season. And Memphis gave them their toughest test a year ago in the American Athletic Conference Championship. And then again this year. And they did give them some trouble in this game. For most of the, most most of this one, we thought, we thought that UCF was down and out. But no, they showed us why. They've won 25 straight, overcame a 17-point deficit. That's right, 17-point deficit to win the conference championship undefeated for the second straight year. They were actually down 38-21 to at the half. God only knows what the halftime odds were if you picked uh, UCF to win that or just covered. Got to be a huge, had to have been a huge, huge payout. But they stormed back, were able to win 56-41. to So they gave up just three points in the second half. What a turnaround. And again, it's UCF's second straight undefeated season and second straight conference title. Alabama-Georgia, that was the much-anticipated game, the 5 p.m. game for the SEC championship. Two teams in the college football playoff at the time, and Georgia gave it a run. They gave Alabama its biggest test of the season, and a bizarre fourth-down call late in this game really was the turning point. Well, that and the fact that Tua Tagovailoa, Alabama's amazing quarterback who might win, possibly, probably will win the Heisman on Saturday. He got hurt in this one, and he was playing really badly. He gets hurt, and guess what? Jalen Hurts, the former starting quarterback, had to come in relief of Tua, and he stormed back down 14 in the second half, going into the half, and he storms back, and they win by a touchdown. They, it's Alabama. They just find ways to do it, okay? It was a Jalen Hurts 15-yard touchdown run with just over a minute left that sealed this one. Georgia tried. They had a chance, but just not enough. Could not get it done, and Alabama does it again, stays undefeated, remains number one in the college football playoff, and really a team that's been overshadowed all season, but who has also been right there with Alabama as one of the best teams in the nation over the last few years, and that's Clemson, the number two Tigers. 
They absolutely routed Pitt on Saturday, 42 to 10, just steamrolled them. That's their fourth ACC championship. Nobody's been able to really touch Clemson in the ACC over the last four years. It's not even close. So they're going to be in the college football playoff remaining at number two. And here we go. The final decision came in. I will now go over the which teams are in, which teams are out, and how it all breaks down. We've got Bama at number one. No shocker. Clemson at number two. No shocker. Notre Dame was off. So by default, which I think is wrong, I think they should have had to play to remain in. But because they didn't play and they stayed undefeated in championship week, they remain at number three. And here it is. Oklahoma. They got in and did I miss? I must have missed the um, I must have missed it, actually. So Oklahoma got in over Ohio State, bumping Georgia back. Ohio State, they took care of business. They beat Northwestern and my man Dwayne Haskins put on a show 495 yards, I think five touchdowns. If you look at his entire body of work, You would think he's going to win the Heisman, but really nobody's talking about it. It's either Kyler Murray from Oklahoma or Tua from Alabama. So I forgot about that Ohio State game. I don't know why that's not in my notes, but just wanted to recap that. So that's why many were questioning whether Ohio State was going to jump Oklahoma or not, or whether Georgia was going to remain at number four. But no, Georgia lost. That's their second loss of the season. I'm sorry. They don't deserve to be in the college football playoff. I don't care what Kirby Smart says. No, that's it. You had your chance. You blew a 14-point lead. You're out. So Oklahoma, they jump ahead of Ohio State. And then we have Ohio State and Georgia as the first couple teams out. And here's how the those final four playoff games are going to, are going to, t- uh, to take place. We'll have uh, Alabama will play Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl. And then you will have Clemson facing Notre Dame in the Cotton Bowl. Okay. Now, moving right along, Bill Snyder. My man Bill Snyder. I'm not quite sure how old he is, but he's cre- he was creeping up on uh on Joe Pa territory. Okay, 78 years old. I have I do have it here. 78 years old, been coaching Kansas State for a long time. He's finally hanging up his uh cleats. He's going to call it quits and retire as the Kansas State head coach. He's been he's been solid. I'm not I mean, Kansas State, they're not going to, you know, blow you out of the water or anything and they're not one of the top teams in the nation, but they've been very very steady. Uh he finished this season 5 and 7, so that's probably probably why he's going to he's going to retire. He missed a bowl game for the first time since 2009. So that's what I mean. He's just been a staple. They've been a consistent consistent program since 2009 had a career record of 215 and 117 and uh snyder he had two different stints at kansas state they went to 19 bowl games over the course of his two tenures and went to two other bowl games with other coaches so he took them to 19 bowl games and the other coaches that they had in the history of kansas state only went to two so that proves right there just how good of a football coach Bill Snyder was. And now for some of the more shocking news of the week. This really capped the week. What a bizarre one we had. Out of nowhere, Urban Meyer breaks the news 
that he is going to step down as head coach of Ohio State. I've reported multiple times throughout the weeks that Ohio State, uh, excuse me, Urban Meyer's health has been the talk of the town, essentially. I mean, we saw him a few weeks ago where he was actually bent over during a timeout. He's had headaches in the past. We know he talked to Yahoo Sports back in October, and he, he spoke about how he had that brain surgery to remove that arachnoid cyst in 2014 because of the headaches. And it looks like the headaches are back, and he's taking his health into consideration, and he's going to step down after their Rose Bowl game. That's right. Ohio State will be playing Washington in the Rose Bowl. And just unbelievable. Let's break down Urban Meyer's record at Ohio State. You will not realize how freaking awesome this guy was at Ohio State. Just pure dominance. You want to talk about Nick Saban at Alabama? Give me Urban Meyer at Ohio State. Just unbelievable. He had a record of 82-9 and in seven years at Ohio State. I mean, you can't make this up. That is just phenomenal. 82-9. and Rutgers lost nine games this year alone. I mean, it's laughable. And better yet, his biggest rival, Michigan, 7-0. Never lost to Michigan while at Ohio State. And even better, in Big Ten Conference play, Urban Meyer went 54-4 and in the regular season. Just ridiculous, phenomenal. But what culminated in a three-game suspension to start the season over the assistant abusing his wife, Urban Meyer kind of knew about it, things like that. He was suspended those first three games, and just it, it all culminated. It was a whirlwind type of season for Urban Meyer, and now it finishes up with him retiring at at the conclusion of the Rose Bowl game, which he's never coached in a Rose Bowl, and it has been announced already that offensive coordinator Ryan Day will take over as head coach. Day was the one who took over for Meyer when he was suspended those first three games, and Ryan Day is no joke, okay? He played quarterback for Chip Kelly. He coached with Chip Kelly in the NFL And he's got a 15-year coaching resume. So this guy is legit. He's no joke. And he's pretty much an offensive guru, if you will. Next up, with Urban Meyer stepping down, we'll swing things along and talk about a team that hired a new coach, Louisville. They finally got their man. Okay, they hired Appalachian State head coach Scott Satterfield, or Satterfield, excuse me. He led the Mountaineers to a Sun Belt Championship this year. Most people don't really know the name, but he had a 51-24 and 24 record in six seasons at App State. Pretty good. This is the third straight year his team has won or shared the Sun Belt title. So pretty, pretty good resume there. We'll see what he could do if he could turn things around at Louisville. And now UMass, another, another uh, small school. They tabbed FSU offensive coordinator Walt Bell as their next football coach. The deal is for five years and $625,000 annually, which will include a $25,000 retention bonus. Not too too shabby. He's only 34, and he will be one of the youngest coaches in college football next season. I mean, I think of 34. It's not that young 
when you really think about it, if you look at a guy like Sean McVay in the NFL, they're, they're seemingly getting younger and younger. These these big-time offensive-minded uh, coaches are, are hot commodities of late, and that seems to be the new trend. Okay, talked about the college football playoff. That's been set. Let's talk Heisman finalists. Those The three Heisman finalists were revealed. Of course, no surprise. I kind of indicated this a little bit earlier or prefaced this a little earlier. We have Tua Tagovailoa, Kyler Murray, and Dwayne Haskins, all quarterbacks. Will Greer was number four on this list as well. Um, but here's here's some here's some uh, background on these three guys, and, and let's see if you can dictate or figure out who the heck is going to win this award because I have no idea. It could be any one of these guys. We have Tua, who accumulated 3,353 yards and 37 touchdowns while completing 67.7% of his passes. Kyler Murray was the backup to the Heisman winner last year, Baker Mayfield, and now he is a finalist and has a chance to win the award, which is incredible. He amassed 4,053 passing yards and another 892 rushing yards, and a total of 51 touchdowns. Even better numbers, you would think, right? And then you have Haskins, who could give Ohio State their eighth, which is a record, eight Heismans, okay? He led the country in passing and touchdown passes this season. Numbers are just ridiculous. So each one of those could seemingly win the award. I'm going to give the edge here. I mean, personally, just numbers alone, I would give it to Dwayne Haskins, who I believe has the best chance to play at the next level at the position. Okay, we all know that Kyler Murray was drafted by the Oakland Athletics in the MLB, so he's most likely going to go to baseball, but he could carve out a nice career in the NFL, not as a quarterback, though. He's a fast, shifty guy. I could see him like a Tyree Kill or somebody, you know, a fast, speedy, H-back kind of guy like that or, or, or scat back or slot guy. But um, and, and then you have Tua, who just dominated the entire season, didn't throw an interception until that LSU game, but then he really fell off hard, and he hit a wall. And especially last week's game against Georgia, he did not produce. That's why I think... Personally, again, I said I would give it to Haskins, but I think the voters are going to give this one to Kyler Murray. But each, any one of these guys could win the award. Okay, next up, USC has hired Cliff Kingsbury, the former Texas Tech head coach, who was literally fired like just two weeks ago. And no, they're not hiring him to replace uh, to replace Clay Helton because he has been retained as head coach. No, they are hiring. Cliff Kingsbury as their new offensive coordinator because they parted ways with T. Martin earlier in the week. Clay Helton was calling the plays in um, T. Martin's absence, but those duties now will be handed over to their new offensive coordinator, Cliff Kingsbury. And then Kelly Bryant, the former Clemson quarterback that led them to the college football playoff a year ago he's been in search for a new team ever since he lost his starting job and he's finally made the decision he's headed to the sec and he will he will uh, be the quarterback at missouri next season he's eligible to play immediately so he will he will slot in there next season as the missouri starting quarterback 
And Maryland, another team seeking a head coach in the wake of everything that happened this season. They tabbed Mike Loxley as their head coach. If you're wondering who Mike Loxley is, he is the offensive coordinator at Alabama. He was Maryland's offensive coordinator from 2012 to 2015 and also served as the interim head coach back when Randy Edsel was fired in 2015. A little bit about Loxley. He has spent the last three seasons at Alabama, and this year alone, they're averaging 47.9 points per game, which is good for number two in the country, and 527.6 yards per game, so not too shabby. And on Tuesday... To wrap things up here, Loxley won the Broyles Award, which is given to the top assistant in the entire country. So they're getting a good good guy right there at Maryland is. And then this is the week of all the hires. Colorado, another school looking for a head coach after they fired Pat McIntyre. Just a disastrous season. Start 5-0 and and then lose and then finish 5-7. and I mean, just real bad. So they hired Mel Tucker as their head coach. He is the Georgia defensive coordinator, has been so for the last three seasons. He agreed to a nice hefty five-year deal worth $14.75 million. Not too shabby there. Once the deal is approved, December 12th, I believe it is, by the board of trustees there at Colorado, his first year salary will be $2.4 million and then it will be increased by $275,000 annually. So there you go. Colorado believes it has their guy in Mel Tucker. Okay, last night while Thursday night football was going on, don't know too many people that were probably watching that because just a snooze fest of a game. We had a bunch of awards handed out. Tua Tagovailoa won the Maxwell Award, which is handed out to the Player of the Year. He beat out Kyler Murray and Will Greer. He also won the Walter Camp Award, which goes to the nation's best player. Tua might have won best player, but the best quarterback award went to Kyler Murray in the form of the Davey O'Brien Award. He beat out Tua and Gardner Minshew of Washington State. This is all very interesting. Take it take it for how you will. I don't know if this gives you any insight into who's going to win the Heisman, but the Heisman winner will be announced on Saturday in New York City, so stay tuned for that to find out. And then we have two more hires to go over. Hugh Freeze. It was announced today that Hugh Freeze, the former Ole Miss head coach who's been on hiatus for the past two seasons, was hired at Liberty. Okay, if you guys remember, he resigned in 2016 after it came out that he made a call to an escort service from a school-issued phone. Just stupid. And yeah, ever since resigning, he has been out of the game. But guess what? He's been hired at Liberty because guess who runs the athletic department at Liberty? Oh, that's right. Ian McCaw, the former Baylor athletic director who was in a scandal of his own 
and had to resign from Baylor in the aftermath of their sexual assault scandal. So just bizarre. It's a great fit for, for two embattled former uh, former former guys that, that had just these scandals surrounding them in Freeze as a head coach and um, McCaw as an athletic director. So very interesting to see how that pans out. And listen, if uh, Freeze does a good job, he, he'll put his name back on the radar for some bigger uh, big time schools. And so we'll just have to wait and see how that works out. And then finally, Georgia Tech has hired Jeff Collins as their new coach. This is Jeff Collins, the current Temple coach. He's been at Temple for the past two seasons. He replaced Matt Rule at Temple when Rule left for Baylor. And this is a this is a pretty uh pretty warm welcome for 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 Collins because he is a native of Conyers, Georgia. So this does make a lot of sense for him as well. They uh, at Temple, Collins was seven and six in his first year, and then they had a very good year this year, went eight and four. Before Temple, Collins was Florida's defensive coordinator. And let's just put this into perspective what this means for Georgia Tech going forward, because Paul Johnson was obviously known as running, as instituting and implementing the triple option, which the quarterback just does not throw the ball. Let's face it, it's a triple option. He either hands the ball to one guy or to the running back, the fullback, or pitches it or keeps it himself. Well, guess what? That's gone. Okay, because if there's one thing we know about about Collins is that he loves to throw the ball. Temple threw nearly 400 times in 2018. So kiss the triple option goodbye. And I think that's the right move because I don't think we live in an era that can you you can ground and pound and eat up the clock. It just doesn't work that way. This is a throwing league now and a passing league. We see it in the NFL now with Mahomes and Goff and these these big time offenses. You you can only do so much with the running game. All right, that's actually going to do it for college football. Got through that in about 25 minutes. We will trickle on over, get to baseball. I'm leaving the NFL for the middle of this show because that's the real meat and potatoes and that's going to take up the most time. So we'll go we'll go over the uh, baseball stuff real quick. You know, it's the offseason. There's some big moves happening out there. You might not be paying attention as much as I am, so that's why I'll cover it for you right here. And we start in Major League Baseball with the big news. Well, this was the big news until about yesterday, I guess you could say. Robinson Cano, that trade to the Mets, was in fact finalized. I spoke of that last week, how that was uh, heating up, and that was a big possibility. So it was finalized. Cano and Edwin Diaz were dealt to the Mets for five players. Those players are Jay Bruce, Anthony Swarzak, and three top prospects. So that's very good for the Mets. They unloaded Jay Bruce's salary, so this saves them money. Five years and $120 million left on Cano's contract. Hefty, hefty, hefty deal. That 10-year deal that he signed with Seattle. The Mariners included Diaz on this deal. They had to. Nobody was going to eat up that salary without them throwing in somebody else. So they got the Mets to eat more of Cano's salary by throwing in. Quite frankly, I think the Mets made out in this deal. They throw in not just some schlub. This is Edwin Diaz, 24-year-old Edwin Diaz, who led Major League Baseball with 57 saves a year ago. Okay, so this is a great, just a great job by uh, Brody Van Wagenen uh, coming in here 
and immediately making an impact. This makes the Mets better. Listen, you give up these top prospects. The Mariners, they liked this kid, Jared Kalenic, just the high schooler, 19 years old. He was chosen sixth overall, I believe, by the Mets. And the Mariners, who drafted maybe 14th, they really liked him. So that's why they wanted to go and get him in this deal. But listen, prospects don't always amount to anything, so you never know. Why why bank on a prospect that could come and help you in three, four years when you have a surefire thing right in front of you? And Cano is a surefire Hall of Famer, eh, despite the uh, the PEDs thing now. And Edwin Diaz, I mean, 57 saves. It's, it, it's no small feat, okay? So the other guys in this deal were, uh, besides Kalenic, you had Justin Dunn, who's a 23-year-old right-handed pitcher. He was a first-rounder in 2016. This summer, he reached double-A. He struck out 105 batters in 89 and two-thirds innings. And then you have Gerson Bautista, another 23-year-old right-handed pitcher. Throws hard, has had mixed results in the higher minor leagues, and a very, very brief stint in the big. So again, these are all works in progress. These are just prospects. You don't know how long it's going to take for them to develop. You could go 10 years in the minor leagues and never make it to the pros. So it's never a sure thing in baseball. So trading prospects, it might sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. You might be trading away the next Randy Johnson, the next Cy Young winner. You know, the Mets traded Michael Fulmer to the Tigers a few years ago, and look what he's turned out to be. You know, it just it doesn't always doesn't always work out for you, but I think this one will. Cano at 36, I think he still has a few years left in him. Listen, this is a guy that's never sat. He plays every single day, and if you can get that from Cano for a couple of seasons when you have Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard, I mean, this is a team that has a chance. Granted, the Phillies and Nats and Braves are all big teams in that division that have been making moves to better themselves. So it's going to be tough, but the Mets, this puts them in a good position. They needed a closer. Obviously, they traded Familia midway through the season last year at the deadline to Oakland. So they have no closer. And how many games do you wish, does, does Jacob deGrom wish he had an Edwin Diaz to close those games out? Only 10 wins because they blew it in the 7th, 8th, and ninth innings. So Edwin Diaz can really make that impact and help secure a lot of victories for the Mets, and namely Jacob deGrom. So I think that was a great deal. And staying in the division, again, the Phillies now are making moves because they have a lot of money. They went out and got Gene Segura, so it it looks like the Mariners are just unloading. They're dumping all their good players, and they're really not getting much in return. I don't understand it. Gene Segura is a good shortstop. He is an all-star player. He's a good hitter. And this was another five-player deal. So the Phillies received relievers Juan Nicasio and James Pazos to go along with Gene Segura. And in exchange, the Phillies are sending the Mariners shortstop J.P. Crawford and Carlos Santana. That's the thing I don't get. Who wants Carlos Santana's contract? I can't believe the Mariners ate that up. He's an aging player, decent hitter, but for the price tag, I just don't, I don't understand it. And... In my opinion, Gene Segura, I just told you, he's a shortstop. I really believe this says a lot about Manny Machado. I don't think he's going to the Phillies now. I just don't. Despite everything the Phillies are still saying, they'll throw him all the money in the world. They're still after him. I just don't believe that if you were all in on Manny Machado, you would go and get a Gene Segura. I don't care what you say. And how does this look to Manny Machado? 
this has got to be insulting. It's like, oh, you're going to get Gene Segura and then you think that I'm going to play third base or, or, or whatever, you know, like he said it multiple times. He wants to play short. And I just think with the Yankees in the mix and with some of these other teams, I don't think that the Phillies really truly are all in on Machado. This was their backup plan. And, um, I think they went out and got Segura just in case they can't get Machado. Uh, real quick, the Dodgers have extended Dave Roberts four years, keeping him. He'll, he'll stick around in LA through the 2022 season, obviously led them to back to back world series. Although he could not close the deal. This was imminent. I've been waiting for this since the season ended. So yeah, four year extension for Dave Roberts, the Red Sox. This is uh, kudos to them. I want to give them a round of applause real quick. They have accepted an invitation to the white house. So they put all their political uh, their political views aside, and they did the right thing here, in my opinion. Listen, you had NBA champ the Warriors. You've you've had just all these all these sports uh, champions that have been trending towards not going to the White House because they disagree with the policies of Donald Trump. I mean, come on, sports and politics aside. This is a traditional uh, honor to be invited to the White House when you win a championship in your respective sport. And these teams that are saying boo-hoo or or players that don't want to go, the Eagles and all these other teams that don't want to go because they don't like Donald Trump. Listen, I didn't like Obama as my president. I've said this before. I'm sure the guy is a, is a great guy and a super nice guy. I just didn't agree with his policies and what he stood for, you know, as the president, but that's fine. If I won the World Series, I still would go and I would still shake his hand proudly and be like telling my grandkids, oh my God, I met the freaking president in my lifetime and I shook his hand and he was a cool guy. Like, you don't have to talk about politics. Like, I'm sure you could talk sports. I know Obama's a big sports guy, but come on. It just puts your political views aside. And so kudos to the Red Sox. I think they're making the right choice. And even though I hate the Red Sox and I hate their guts as with a passion, I do believe I, I will give them credit where credit is due. They did the right thing. And so they're going to go to the, the to the White House and, and meet Trump. And so that's a good, that's good. All right. Some other news here, the Nationals. This was pretty much the, the big news um, in the middle of the week in baseball, and then some bigger news even broke yesterday. The Nationals signed Patrick Corbin, who the Yankees were highly af- were, were, were trying to really go after as their, as their uh, fifth starter. The Yankees need another starter, and they keep missing out on guys because they're unwilling to go the extra step and to pay some more money for that extra year. And it's it's interesting because the Yankees are the team that never got outbid, never got outpaid, and it seems that Hal Steinbrenner is unwilling to go that distance. I don't know if it's because of the whole Stanton 10-year contract and they don't want to go down that road and pay for, for all that all those extra years when it just doesn't seem to work out. So basically... Uh, Corbin to the Nationals. It's a six-year, $140 million deal, give or take a few dollars there. The Yankees weren't willing to go beyond five years at $100 million. And it sucks because, you know, Cashman or Aaron Boone, they took they took this guy, they brought in Corbin, they were serious, they took him out to dinner, and, and, and it is intriguing that they were not willing to go that extra year. What is one more year, you know? So if you keep getting outbid for these guys pretty soon— you're outbidding yourself essentially, and there's going to be nobody left. So Corbin, 
to give some background on him because he played in Arizona, not really a big time market. He's 29 years old, and last year he was in the NL's top 10 in innings pitched, strikeouts, whip, and ERA. He's just 29 years old, had the best season of his career, and was an all star. He had a career best 3.15 ERA. Strikeouts per nine was 11.1. That's pretty damn good. And hits per nine, 7.3. So yeah. And then here's really what I wanted to cap it off with. This was the biggest news of the week. This was yesterday. Paul Goldschmidt was traded to the Cardinals. Okay. He's also another guy in the Diamondbacks. So they look like they're unloading players. Uh, The all-star first baseman and MVP candidate, Paul Goldschmidt, just acquired by St. Louis in exchange for catcher Carson Kelly, right-handed pitcher Luke Weaver, infielder Andy Young, and the D-backs compensation round B selection in the 2019 draft. So this was, it was shocking until I read a little bit more into it. He was set to become a free agent at the end of the season, and I guess Arizona didn't like the odds of retaining him, so might as well trade him now when you could get some value in return for him. Goldschmidt, if you uh, recall, two-time runner-up for NL MVP. He's averaged 31 homers and 105 RBIs per 162 games throughout his career. But one big thing that uh, you have to take into account with Paul Goldschmidt, and it's a really good fit with St. Louis. Um, I really like this fit for them. Goldschmidt isn't a consistent player. He will put up those numbers, and his numbers for the season will look great, but he'll have a monster half, and then he'll 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 cool down tremendously for a, for a while. So uh, at the beginning of the year, he was tremendous. The latter half of the year, he just dipped downhill, and it was really bad. And then, of course, yesterday, Nathan Evaldi returning to the Red Sox, another guy, former Yankee pitcher. Yankees were interested in him, but again, they were outbid by that extra year. Evaldi, back to the Red Sox, four-year extension worth $67.5 million. Again, Avaldi was traded at the deadline to the Red Sox midseason. He helped them uh, win that World Series. He was a huge part of that uh, World Series run, dominated the Yankees in the postseason, finished with a 2-1 record and 1.1, uh, 1.61 ERA Excuse me, in that postseason run. So yeah, we'll, we'll see. He has some bad injury history, but when he's on, he throws about as easy as 100 miles an hour as I've ever seen. And then some sad news to cap off our baseball segment here. Real sad news I just read about a couple hours ago. A couple of former MLB players died in a car crash. Um, I don't know when this was. This might have been yesterday or sometime this week or even today. I'm not quite sure. But Former Angels infielder Luis Valbuena, he was the big name. Most people, uh, if you're a baseball fan, you recognize that name. And then a little bit lesser of a known name is Pirates infielder, former Pirates infielder Jose Castillo. They were killed in a car crash. Okay, so this took place yesterday in Venezuela, I believe. Valbuena was 33 and Castillo was 37. So here's how this all happened. Those two were together because they were playing winter ball in Venezuela and they were on the same team. Uh, the, forgive me for this pronunciation, the Cardinales de Lara. Um, and Carlos Rivero was actually the driver of this vehicle. He had a brief stint in 2014 with the Arizona Diamondbacks. 
he was driving this vehicle. It supposedly hit a rock and went off the road. Somehow, this guy, Rivero, survived the crash, and I'm sure we'll hear uh, more details as they become available. This is still pretty new. Okay, here we go. We've reached that time. It's our NFL segment, and let's get to it. Here we go. Take a deep breath. Get your earphones in properly. Make sure they don't fall out of your ears. Raise that volume if you have to, because it's go time. Okay, we start with the Packers. They have hit a new low. They lost to the Cardinals at home on Sunday. And guess what? I'm not going to say that I predicted this, but they were upwards of 15 and a half point favorites. And I told people that they were not the team to bet on. Four and six record. Why would you take a team to win by 15 and a half when they're under 500? So the Cardinals win this game. It's surprising, but I got to say, I kind of told you so. Mason, uh, excuse me, sorry. Aaron Rodgers was 16 and one in December home games going into this game. And that's probably what led to this Vegas, uh, these, these weird odds of 15 and a half points. But listen, huh, Mason Crosby had a chance to tie it up at the end of the game and send this to overtime, but his field goal missed wide right. Once again, they lose 20 to 17. And then, of course, right after this game, you had to make the switch. So here it is. Mike McCarthy, he gone. Fired. As Donald Trump would say, you fired. Okay? They announce it. I think this was maybe either, yeah, later that night. That's right. Sunday night they made this announcement that Mike McCarthy has been fired. Listen, the Packers are 4-7-1 and one now and virtually gone, virtually out of the playoffs. They had to win out and hope for some help. So their season's over. And again, I think maybe last week or the week before, I reported there has been some tension. There has been some brew, some yeah, tension uh, and and rifting going on between McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers for several for several weeks. And this could be ex- this could have extended for a couple years now. We don't know, but yeah, they just not happy there. And of course, I don't care what anyone says. This was Aaron Rodgers doing. I mean. This was one of those relationships that had soured. McCarthy did all he could in Green Bay, and Rodgers wanted him out. And when the best player in football wants a new coach, I'm pretty sure ownership and front office is going to appease that player because the player always wins out in the end. Former Dolphins head coach and current offensive coordinator Joe Philbin takes over for McCarthy on an interim basis. He's probably not the future head coach, But we'll see. There's a lot of names rumored to be out there that might be brought in to replace McCarthy, but I'm not going to get into all that because, again, they're just rumors and we're such a long way away. And here's just a quick quote on Aaron Rodgers on on McCarthy and his firing. He said, like any relationship, we've had an amazing we've had amazing times and times when we butt heads. We accomplished a lot together. So, I mean, that pretty much says it all. That relationship has gone south for for a long time, and so they had to make the move. Excuse me. Okay, um, sad news here for Greg Olson. Just this guy cannot stand, cannot get off the injury report anymore. I don't know what's going on, but he left Sunday's 24-17 loss to the Bucks early, I think the, in the first half, and never came back. And then he reported afterwards 
that he suffered a ruptured plantar fascia and he's absolutely done for the season. It's crazy because he played with two fractures to his uh to his right foot over the last two seasons and I believe they they think that the rupture was due to compensation for those injuries. And what's crazy is it just proves that as you get older, man, your body just is not the same and it breaks down. Greg Olson went nine straight seasons without missing a single game, and he's now missed nine last year and now eight again this season. So just bizarre and sucks for Greg Olson, and hopefully he's able to finally fully recover from this foot injury and be back healthy and a full go next season. And in staying on this Panthers uh, team, they have been bad, man. They now lost to Tampa Bay, who's the worst team in that division. They've lost, what, four games in a row. Ron Rivera thought it best to fire two of his defensive coaches. He gets rid of defensive line coach Brady Hoke and assistant secondary coach Jeff Imamura. He said, and Rivera said, in my opinion, this was best for the team moving forward. Well, I don't know. Maybe maybe best for the team moving forward would be for you to step aside, Ron Rivera. Mr. Riverboat Ron never thought this guy was even a good coach. Led them to a 15-1 record in the playoffs. That was a lucky year. He has been nothing but mediocre since. He's made questionable calls all season, namely that Detroit game going for that two-point conversion. I just don't like Riverboat Ron. I think it's, his time has come to an end. Time to get somebody else in here. I really need that you know, fired from Donald Trump uh, soundbite this week. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, Ron Rivera, no shocker. He thinks he's so good. He's going to take over. Uh, take a bigger role on defense. All right, Tom Brady, got to mention this. They beat the Vikings pretty pretty handily, 24-10. to 10. Not only did Brady uh, reach, because he did, he finally reached 1,000 career rushing yards. And I looked this up. I think I broke it down. Over his career, it amounts to like 35 rushing yards a season. <laughs> Something like that, just ridiculous. Obviously, he's no fleet of foot, but yeah, that's a big milestone, 1,000 career rushing yards. He did also throw in this game for his 579th career touchdown pass, including the playoffs, which ties him for uh, with Peyton Manning for the most all-time, so obviously he'll break that this weekend. Another bit of bad news for another player in the NFL, A.J. Green, done for the season. He's been dealing with a toe injury since week eight. He hurt himself on a non-contact play, and he will undergo season-ending surgery to repair torn ligaments in his toe. This will sideline him three to four months, but he's definitely expected he'll be making a full recovery. He'll be at OT- ready for OTAs. Hey, not going to lie, I never wish an injury upon anybody, but I'm playing against AJ Green in fantasy this week in the playoffs, so he's out. So that's one win for me right there. All right, Sunday night football. There's some more injuries I got to get to, but we'll talk about Sunday night football real quick. The Steelers blew a 16-point lead, I believe, which has never happened. The Steelers had never blown a lead of 14-plus points in a regular season home game. This team was founded in 1933, so they previously went 220 
and uh, zero losses and two ties since 1933 until Sunday night when they lost on a last second field goal. And now they're 220 and one at home in the regular season when having a 14 plus point lead, just staggering numbers. Here's how it went down. The Chargers, they were losing 23 to seven. They were without running back Melvin Gordon. By the way, I predicted this upset. I had the Chargers plus three, even without Melvin Gordon. I had a feeling with the Steelers having the way they've been playing the last couple weeks, I did not like their odds. And the Chargers are a lot of people's sneaky upset pick to make a run at the Super Bowl this year. So down 23 to seven, they had a punt returned for a touchdown, which they did miss a freaking uh, a block in the back and also a false start earlier in the game when Philip Rivers chucked it up deep for a deep touchdown. So to Travis Benjamin, they missed that and a block in the back on those punts. But hey, you got to get lucky every once in a while to come back from 16 down. Philip Rivers, though, was magnificent in the second half. And like I said, on the final, if you didn't stay up and watch, you wouldn't have known. But the Steelers jumped off sides three times on the game-winning field goal by Michael Badgley. The first one, they jumped off sides and he actually missed it wide left. So if they wouldn't have jumped off sides, we would have had overtime. And then the second time, they blocked it, but they completely ran offside to block it. And then the third time, Artie Burns jumped so far offsides that he actually overran the ball, and that's the one that Badgley finally made, and they declined the penalty, and they won. Listen, the Chargers have really put the pressure on the Chiefs because the Chiefs now, without Kareem Hunt, we saw what they were. On Sunday against the Raiders, barely barely won that game. They they, they did not look uh, great. Uh, still got it done, though. But um, the Chargers now are just one game behind the Chiefs. And if the Chiefs lose this weekend, they will be tied for first place in that AFC West division. So that'll be interesting to watch. And then this is funny, okay? So I talked about that Packers game and Cardinals game but what I didn't really touch on was the kicker for the Cardinals was Zane Gonzalez he went a perfect four for four against the Packers and he hit two 44 yard field goals why is this special because Zane Gonzalez was the Browns kicker at the beginning of the year and they cut him after he blew the first two games of the season against the Steelers and the Saints. They could have won those two games. But now Zane Gonzalez, just like Josh Gordon, every the grass is greener on the other side. As soon as you leave the Browns and go to another team, you instantly become amazing. So good job for Zane Gonzalez. Congratulations to him, man. He deserved another shot. And uh, yeah, he's getting it done in Arizona and helps them beat the Packers. Go figure. Okay, Monday night football was an ugly one. Unfortunately, the Redskins cannot get out of their own way. Colt McCoy pulled an Alex Smith and also broke his fibula. Just unreal. You got to feel bad for the guy. You got to feel bad for the Redskins who were looking like they were going to run away with this uh, NFC East division just a few weeks ago. And instead... They're now six and six and in third place in the division. And he really, it was a play where uh, Colt McCoy was running, trying to scramble, and he was uh, falling down. He, he was trying to run away from a defender, and as he was falling, his feet kind of got out from under him, and his legs swung, and they hit another player, and it fractured. It just, one of those freak things, fractured his fibula. And this thrust Mark Sanchez, yes, that Mark Sanchez, Mr. Butt Fumble himself, 
He's the only, he was the only remaining quarterback on the roster. God only knows what would have happened if he got hurt. Signed just a few weeks ago on November 18th. Hadn't played in a game since 2016, which coincidentally enough, that also came in Philadelphia because Redskins were playing the Eagles. And that was when he was a member of the Cowboys. And just amazing on his first play from scrimmage, he handed it off. Naturally, that's what a quarterback that gets thrust into action does. They hand it off to the running back. Well, guess what? He wasn't handing it off to just any running back. He was handing it off to all world, AP, AD, all day, Adrian Peterson. And what did Adrian Peterson did? He proceeded to rush for 90 yards and take it to the house for a touchdown. In his entire career, Adrian Peterson has never had a 90-yard rushing touchdown. So that was a career long. And not only that, but that touchdown also tied Mr. Adrian Peterson with Jim Brown with hundred for 106 career rushing touchdowns, which is like fifth all-time, I believe. And then uh, Sanchez, looked he looked decent. You know, they clearly didn't have a big uh, playbook for him, just a handful of plays that he was familiar with. Led them to... 10 straight points, got a field goal at the end of the half. We're down one point, but really they just couldn't get anything going. Um, He needs more time to learn that playbook and we'll have to wait and see what he turns out to be going forward for the Redskins. And they're obviously going to have to go out and hire another quarterback to back up Sanchez now. And for the Eagles, listen, this was all Eagles in the second half. Carson Wentz really looked good. The Eagles finally... uh, they looked probably the best they've looked all year. Um, they win this one 28 to 13. I think Carson Wentz played his best game. They even their record at six and six. The Redskins are six and six also, but they're both looking up at the Cowboys who have a very favorable um, schedule moving forward. All right, next up we have Michael Kendricks. He has been reinstated. He's still facing many uh, years in prison for pleading guilty to that insider trading. But the Seahawks have reinstated Kendricks. He uh, served an eight-game suspension, and he's immediately eligible to play in a big Monday night game against the Vikings. So look for uh, look for him out there on Monday night to give the uh, the Seahawk defense a little bit of a bolster. Okay, and then we have another bizarre story. Sticking with the Seahawks, former Seahawk cornerback Brandon Browner. He might have been in the league last year or the year before. He's been sentenced to eight years in prison. Just, what are you doing, guys? I mean, it's, it's this is, I, I just, I can't wrap my finger around this, I, why these guys put themselves in these situations. So here's what happened. Uh, Brandon Browner, he's 34 years old. He was charged in July for an incident in Laverna, uh, Laverne, California, and these charges include the there. It's a lot: robbery, burglary, false imprisonment felonies, as well as two misdemeanor counts of endangerment. He pled no contest to one count of friggin' attempted murder and two counts of willful child endangerment. Bruh, come on! Like you just you left the NFL a year or two ago, and this is what you do with your life. You, you, I mean, come on, I'll trade, I'll tr- gladly trade my life for yours and that won't happen. I can promise you that there needs to be some accountability in the NFL and these guys need to find a hobby when they get out. Like this is ridiculous. Anyway, we move on the bills. They cut, uh, Kelvin Benjamin on Tuesday, along with Andre Holmes, another wide receiver. The bills are not very good. 
Kelvin Benjamin hasn't done anything this season. The Bills' offense is just woefully dreadful. Uh, So let's see. The Bills, they acquired Kelvin Benjamin at the trade deadline, uh, I think about last year. And in 18 games, he he had just 39 catches, 571 yards, and only two touchdowns. The Bills gave up third and seventh round picks to get him, mind you, which is yikes. And um, he is on the final year. Wow, he's still on his rookie contract, surprisingly enough. His fifth-year option meant his salary for this season is $8.46 million, so he's still getting paid. And then, boom, quick turnaround. He signed on with the Chiefs, so he goes from, like, the worst offense to the best offense in the NFL. And that news came out. Uh, Adam Schefter broke that, I want to say, yesterday or today. But he signs with the Chiefs. It makes sense because word just came out that Sammy Watkins is going to be out until at least the playoffs. So he'll fill in for for uh, that role, see if he can do anything. And uh, one more thing, he's just going to be with the Chiefs through the end of this season. This is just for the playoffs because he'll be a free agent afterwards. Okay, the biggest, weirdest story of the week in the NFL has to be this Jerry Hughes incident. And I'm not going to play the video because it, it, it's, it's, I don't, yeah, it's just stupid. It's better if I just say it. You know, you can't really hear much on it, and it's hard to hear what's going on. So basically, on Sunday, Jerry Hughes went after a ref post-game and had to be pulled back and held back by somebody that works for the for the organization. Uh, it's just bizarre. He, he, you can clearly hear him in the video yelling at official Roy Ellison about how he's claiming that Ellison called him a bitch and he was going to catch him for it. I'm going to catch you for it. I'm going to catch you for this. Like, I'll get you. I mean, it's just bizarre. But It's just weird. I don't know what happened, what took place. I don't know if the ref actually said this. But what makes it worse is, listen, there's video of this. There's free, There's video. I could go find the video right now and pull it up. And there's audio as well. But he's asked, Jerry Hughes is flat out asked about this video and about what happened. And this was his response. Okay. He says it never happened, and he thought the refs did a good job calling the game. What? Say what? Uh, are you? Did Jerry Hughes like like? Does he have selective memory? I uh, I mean, how how does he suppress this memory? You're just flat out lying to us, dude. I mean, there's friggin' video evidence. He he it just makes no sense. But as for the official. Uh, Ellison, he was put on administrative leave, but the NFL Referees Association, the NFL uh, RA, they defended him fully and said that it was Jerry Hughes who, in fact, was verbally threatening Ellison. I mean, technically he was just based on that video. I, I mean, he's threatening him big time. And so the NFL RA believes that Ellison will be cleared, and they even said that Hughes has a well-documented history of abusive language towards refs. So we'll see what comes of that. Who knows? Just a weird, weird story. Um, in other news, Mitch Trubisky, he is back. The Bears quarterback is back. He missed the last two games with that shoulder injury, and Matt Nagy announced that he will start against the Rams on Sunday. Another bad injury, Emmanuel Sanders, who coincidentally enough, I was facing in the playoffs in fantasy again this week also. He had a non-contact injury in practice, tore his Achilles, done for the season, Sucks for the Broncos because they have won three in a row and they put themselves back in playoff contention. So it's a tough loss for the Broncos' number one wide receiver. 
And now back to Mark Sanchez for a minute. He's now been thrust into the starting role for the Redskins, okay? And it's it's weird. It's funny because he was asked about, you know, everything that comes along with being Mark Sanchez, and namely the guy was getting at the butt fumble. So this is this is what transpired in a press conference. Take a listen. Things associated in fans' minds when Mark Sanchez's name comes up, there are good things, high draft pick. Sure. The playoff runs with the Jets those two years to the AFC title game. There's also a certain fumble uh, in the nationally televised game that... I'm not following. <laughs> is, is that... Uh, did that bother you that that, would, that that comes up still to this day? Do you laugh you, about it as you just did? Like is I said, what are you going to do? I mean, it was, it was a crappy play in a game where we are getting our butts kicked. You know, some low-hanging fruit, so that was an easy reach for you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Come on. You can give it to me. I can get right back. Come on now. Thick skin in here, huh? No, listen. It's, uh, who cares? It's one, it's one play. And, uh, yeah, you just move on. Um, I prefer to remember the good stuff. You seem like a doomsday or so. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that's pretty funny. I, listen, I'm a Jets fan. Obviously, we drafted Mark Sanchez way back when in 2009, and he took us to two straight AFC championship games, but it was a disastrous ending. I never had a problem with Sanchez. I kind of thought he got a bad rap, and he takes a lot of heat for that butt fumble, and it's like really still to this day, but he knows it, it's going to live on forever, and, and so be it. You know, if, you're, if they're talking about you, then, then you know, uh, any press is good press, in, in my opinion. So, no, he had a great reaction to it, and he was playing around with the, uh, with the guy that asked that question, so I thought that was pretty funny. But in sticking with this, crazy enough, a, a one Plaxico Burris, who played with Mark Sanchez, the former wide receiver who played with the um, Steelers, obviously won a Super Bowl with the Giants, and with the Jets, one year with the Jets in 2011, They were the one team that took a chance on Burris, mind you, after he shot himself in the leg with an illegal firearm at a nightclub and went to prison, okay, for a little while. I don't know what his beef is with Mark Sanchez, but he he took to Twitter to talk about Sanchez, and he said, I can't wait to see this quarterback play for the Washington Redskins for the rest of the season. At Mark Sanchez, he actually tagged him, said, let me grab my popcorn Hashtag comedy for three hours. Hashtag check down king. Yup, I said it. Listen, they I don't know what the beef is there. Burris had a good season with the Jets in his only season in 2011. He had eight touchdown receptions. He was a big red zone target. Granted, that was the year after they went to an AFC, two AFC championship games and the Jets went eight and eight. But according to Manish Mehta, Burris, back in 2011 with the Jets, he would repeatedly sit in the back of meeting rooms and just rip Mark Sanchez. So, yeah, I guess he he always had it out for Sanchez, never liked him. I don't think he believes that he's a good quarterback, but um, never publicly came out and said these things when he was a member of the Jets, so I don't know why. It's easy for him to come out and say something like this now, but no, we'll see what happens. You know, Sanchez, with a week of preparation, it's been a couple seasons since he's played. He's a serviceable quarterback, and that's pretty much what Alex Smith was. He's going to turn the ball over a little bit. That's a given, but we'll see if the Redskins can muster anything or if they're just 
dead in the water and have no chance. But in that division, you just never know. And then in sticking with the Redskins, I feel bad. Alex Smith, man, I, I, I this injury was so bad. And everybody was saying he'll make a recovery. It's not that bad. You know, he'll be able to play. Well, it is that bad because he is dealing with a massive infection that is affecting his leg to the point where his career is in jeopardy. So he had obviously multiple surgeries to repair his tibia and fibula, and he got an infection. I mean, that's what happens sometimes. So he's actually still in the hospital, and the infection could require a partial reconstruction and reintervention and what that means is um he had he he will now they're going to remove tissue to try and clear the infection and if that doesn't work he's going to have to undergo more more surgeries and and whatnot and he's been in the hospital so long that on monday night when they brought in um when they brought in colt mccoy they actually were in rooms right next to each other so yeah if, if that doesn't if that doesn't tell you what the season's been like for the Redskins, then I don't know what will. But my uh, my thoughts and prayers to Alex Smith and his family, and hopefully they can get this infection under control and he can make a, a full recovery. All right, let's um, move along to last night's game, Thursday night football, and then I will go over this week's games, maybe do a quick recap of last week's games. Um the Titans, I got this one flat out wrong. I thought the Jaguars' defense was going to step up in a big way, and I thought that the the Titans were really looked really bad against my Jets, even though they they overcame that sixteen point deficit. But listen, the Jags are they've given up. I, I saw it last night watching that game. They they have given up on Doug Marone, and their season's over. That's it. They got smacked 30 to 9. I really, I believe that the, I mean, looking at this, I should have known better. If you just look, oh, Titans versus Jags, Titans are at home. Boom, uh, Titans, easy pick, right? But I kind of got cute and I overthought it and I'm thinking, okay, this is a division matchup. I expected it last time they faced off, no touchdowns. It was 9 to 6. I thought it would be more of the same, big defensive, you know, game. And the Jaguars defense is still going into this game. They were still third in the NFL overall. So I thought they would give the uh, Titans trouble, but no, the Titans running game lit up the Jags. And this play right here, this this says it all. Listen to this. Drive starts at the one and looking for a little breathing room and they get that and plenty more. Derrick Henry still going. Yeah, so Derrick Henry had a 99-yard touchdown run in this game. This was just after the Jags got an interception, and then they got a uh, safety on a punt, which the punter, this rookie, this guy picked the ball up and ran into the end zone. They got the safety, and then the Titans take over at the one, and I'm thinking, oh boy, we're going to have a second safety. But no, Derrick Henry makes these fools look silly two big friggin' stiff arms and goes 99 yards becomes this. Listen, this is how impressive this was. The NFL has been in existence. This is the 99th season. And this was just the second 
99-yard touchdown run in history. The other was Tony Dorsett. He did it for the Cowboys in the 83 season. And Derrick Henry, have yourself a night. He became the first player in the Super Bowl era with 200 yards rushing and four touchdowns on 20 or fewer carries. If you started Derrick Henry in your fantasy playoffs, kudos to you. Let me clap it up for you. I had a guy in my fantasy playoffs. I had a bye in my league. First place, thank you. So I was not playing. I had a guy, I think, either the third in the third place, third versus sixth place matchup. First round of the playoffs, this dude sat Derrick Henry, and I he got 47 points. You start that, and you just sit back and enjoy because you're not losing that week of the first round of the playoffs. So, yeah, that would have been awesome if I had Derrick Henry, but unfortunately, I don't. So just crazy game there. Okay, and then let's see. Now we can uh, recap last week real quick. I'm not going to get into much. I'll just go over the scores real quick. Um, I will not include the games I already went over. Briefly just mentioned a moment ago, my Jets, they had a 16-point lead, and it evaporated, and the Titans come back and win that game, and the Jets lose their sixth straight, just pathetic. Sam Darnold back this week, though. Um, we had obviously that Thursday night game, Dallas beat the saints 13 to 10, the Baltimore Ravens won their third straight with Lamar Jackson, 26 to 16 over the Atlanta, uh, Falcons, the Denver Broncos beat the Bengals 24 to 10, the Rams beat Detroit 30 to 16, uh, Miami beat Buffalo 21, 17, the Giants in an epic overtime game, won 30 to 27 real quick. I want to mention this. The Bears were down 10 with a minute and a half. They scored, they kicked a field goal, and then they went onside kick, and Odell Beckham shied away from the ball, didn't want to dive after it, and he let the Bears recover it. There was a hesitation, and he didn't dive for the ball. Probably didn't want to get blown up, and he was scared because it was a bigger guy, and he's trying to protect his body, but you got to dive for the ball because what happened the Bears went down, ran a Philly Philly reverse special, whatever you want to call it, and Tariq Cohen threw a touchdown pass to send it to overtime. Luckily, the Giants pulled it out and were able to win, but that was a wild, wild game. Then you had the uh, Indianapolis Colts get blanked by the Jags 6 to nothing. Andrew Luck's streak of throwing for three touchdowns or more in a game has ended. You had the Houston Texans win their eighth game in a row, 29-13 over the Browns. The Kansas City Chiefs, they held on in a tight one. They beat the Raiders 40-33. The Seattle Seahawks put up a 43 spot to beat the 49ers 43-16. And the Again, Chargers overcame that 16-point deficit. They win, beat the Steelers 33 to 30. And then on Monday Night Football, 28 to 13 was your final for the Eagles. Okay, let's go over Week 14. These are some big-time games because it is the start of fantasy football playoffs, so keep that in mind. Uh, Jets in Buffalo. Sam Darnold is back. The Bills are 3.5-point favorites. The Jets suck. They're an absolute mess. There's going to be huge high wins and 32-degree weather, and Sam Darnold's from California. Sorry, he's not going to be able to get it done, and the Jets are going to probably lose this game. So, yeah, I'll take the Bills at 3.5. 
We have a push between the Cleveland Browns at home against the Panthers. Neither of these teams is good right now, but I will take the Carolina Panthers because I keep taking them every week and they keep disappointing me for four weeks straight. So they've got to, they got to turn things around at some point. So this is the week I think they do it. Next up, Green Bay at home against Atlanta. Listen, McCarthy's gone. I think this season's over. You're four and seven. You're facing an Atlanta defense that's not very good. I think Aaron Rodgers will have a pretty good game, but I just can't take the Packers. I'm sorry. I don't see it happening. Give me the Falcons. This one, did I say the spread of this one? It's Green Bay by four and a half. I don't understand what the infatuation is with Green Bay getting all these points. They're a four and seven team. Anything more than three is is ridiculous. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense. So yeah, I'll take Atlanta um, with the points. Then you have Miami at home um, against the New England Patriots. Patriots minus nine. The last time these two played, I thought Miami would keep it close and it was an absolute blowout. It was like 28 nothing at one point. So I think it's going to be more of the same. The Patriots are, what are they, eight and three right now, I think? Or, or, or yeah, I think they're eight and three. Um, and I think that the Patriots, uh, sorry, nine and three, I think they will cover this easily win by at least two touchdowns. Then you have Kansas city hosting Baltimore. Joe Flacco's back practicing, but he's going to back up Lamar Jackson. And it's, it's going to bring into question, uh, Harbaugh is going to have a decision to make going forward because Lamar Jackson is three and oh, since he became the starter for an injured Flacco, but he hasn't played very good teams. He gets a good test against Kansas city. They are seven-point favorites. That's to me. That's a lot. Uh, I'm not. I, their defense isn't very good. No. I'm gonna say that Baltimore keeps this within seven, actually. And then you have Tampa Bay hosting the Saints. The Saints will get their revenge from Week One, where Fitz Magic lit up that Saints defense. I think the Saints. They're at ten, minus ten. I think they win by at least seventeen points. Then you have a reeling Redskins team against the 4-8 New York Giants. The Giants are three-point favorites. Nothing here tells me that the Redskins will keep this any close. The Giants have been playing really tough, hard-nosed football of late. They've shown me that they can win three out of four, so I'll take the Giants at minus three. Then you have Houston hosting the uh, Indianapolis Colts. They're five-point favorites. This is an AFC South matchup. I think the Colts need this game, but I think that in the end, Houston is too much. They've won nine in a row, and I think that they continue to win this game, and I think they win by a touchdown. Give me the Houston Texans here. Next up, we have the Chargers at 9-3 and three hosting the Bengals. Bengals have lost Andy Dalton. They've now lost A.J. Green. Their season is done. Shot. Capu- just finito. Over. There's no chance they win another game this season. They're playing. The Chargers are 15 and a half point favorites. This is the only time that I will say, give me the Chargers by 15 and a half. I think they win another team. I think they win by t- upwards of 20, actually. And then you have Dallas hosting Philly. This is a big one. Dallas is seven and five. They're leading this division, and Philly at six and six is hot on their tails, trying to get back in, in in the lead for this division race. Dallas is three-point favorites in this one. This is intriguing, man. Um, I do, I really do. I like Dallas. I think that they've turned their season around, and I think that they pull this one off, and I'll take them minus three. Okay, next up we have Oakland Raiders hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers. Pittsburgh Steelers are 11-point favorites on the road. 
Oakland. They played tough. They scored 30-plus against the Chiefs last week. But listen, the Steelers have lost a few games in a row, and they need to get back on track, and I think they do so in a big way. I'll take the Steelers by 14, although uh, it's it's worth noting James Conner, he's dealing with a um, high ankle sprain, and he's been ruled out for this game. No, no word on whether he'll be back in week 15 or not, so just keep that in mind. They might have some difficulty running the ball, but we'll see. I still like the Steelers by 11. Next up, you have Arizona hosting Detroit. Listen, we have Detroit at 4 and 8, Arizona 3 and 9 coming off a big win against the Packers. What that means is they're going to fall flat on their face. I like Detroit by two and a half on the road. And then you have on Sunday night football, again, I said it, Mitchell Trubisky and the Bears hosting the best team in the NFC, the LA Rams. Okay. And speaking of the LA Rams, we had. Um, Rams head coach Sean McVay and just this guy is so impressive because and this is why everybody calls him a guru he was talking about the Bears and he literally in a span of one minute I'll play this clip he mentions all 11 defenders on the Rams I mean this guy is just a football genius listen to this Hicks is doing an excellent job. Obviously, Khalil Mack is an outstanding player, and they do move him around a little bit. You know, he's moved around where he's sometimes on the left, sometimes on the right. Uh, Leonard Floyd is a player that's gotten a lot better. You know, you know, really, you just look at a couple years ago when I was in Washington, we played them, and you can just feel his growth and maturation. Aaron Lynch is always a guy that's made a lot of plays. And then when you look at their second level, you feel their speed. You know, you see why Roquan Smith's a top 10 pick. Got a great feel in coverage. He can blitz and finish. Trevathan's been doing it for a long time where guys are making picks. You know, you, you talk about, I want to say it's 21 interceptions they have as a defense. Kyle Fuller has six on his own. Uh, he's got great instincts. He can play with great vision on the quarterback, and, and, he, and he plays with great technique. Uh, Mukamura is a guy that you've always seen. Just going back to when I was in Washington, when he was in the division with the Giants, um, he's a very good physical player. Bryce Callahan's gotten better at the nickel spot. And then when you look at Eddie Jackson, uh, the instincts, the range, uh, you, you know, he makes a lot of different plays, and Amos is a guy that's been doing it for a long time. Yeah, so, I mean, just incredible. In a span of one minute, he literally, he has, he knows everything about every single player on this defense. It is one of the best, if not the best, in the NFL. So, you think Sean McVay will have this Rams team ready? It's impressive. But the uh, Bears, it'll be nice because the Bears get Mitchell Trubisky, their quarterback, back on the field after missing the last couple of games, so that'll be a good one. But the spread here is Rams by two and a half, and I just think they have too much firepower. I'm not too sure how healthy Trubisky is with that shoulder. So, um, yeah, I'm never going to bet against the Rams, and this is no different. Two and a half, that's an easy field goal, and my man Greg the Leg Zerline can easily kick a field goal to win this game if it comes down to that. And then finally, we have Monday night's matchup, Seattle hosting the Vikings. Listen, the Vikings did not look very good against the Patriots on Sunday. And and surprisingly, Kirk Cousins is one of the better road quarterbacks this year. And he'll have another tough road test in Seattle where it's a very, very difficult place to play. The noise level there and what Russell Wilson is able to do and has that team doing right now, hitting on all cylinders. Um, Seattle by three in this one. And I'll 
you know, I've got to I've got to take Seattle and take the three points. If it was two and a half or or three and a half, I would go um, I would go Minnesota. I'd feel more I feel better about Minnesota in this one, but the fact that it's just three, I've gotta I've gotta take Seattle. I just think that they'll be able to uh, keep the time of possession rolling. Number one rushing offense and Russell Wilson just too much. He's gonna he's gonna light it up, have a big game for Seattle, and they're gonna get a big win and improve to uh, eight and five and stay uh, stay holding on to that um, NFC wild card uh, berth at the five seed. Okay, that's it. That's it. That's our uh, NFL uh, segment. That That's everything. Hour and 18. We're going to quickly get through this and wrap it up in the next 10 or 15 minutes. And with that being said, we move along right to the NBA. And we start with the Bulls. No shocker here. They fired Fred Hoiberg after just 24 games this season. They announced uh, The announcement came on Monday. Um he was, uh, Hoiberg was hired back in 2015. Listen, college coaches never really, they don't, it, it's hit or miss. They either pan out or they don't. We've seen it in the NFL as well. It, it, it's, it's tough. It doesn't really translate to, to the professional, uh, atmosphere in the sports, but yeah, 2015 after he's been there, uh, he had five successful years at Iowa state and really, he'll be headed back to the college ranks in a year or two, anyway. So, in five uh, since 2015, since he's been with the Bulls, 115 wins, 155 losses, not very good. Just five and 19 so far this season, and it says a lot considering that they fired Hoiberg, knowing that I think I'm, I'm pretty sure that tomorrow they're getting their best player in Laurie Markinen uh, back. So, the fact that they're getting him back. And they're firing uh, Hoiberg just says that they don't believe he has any part um, in their future with the with the Bulls. And a lot of people, uh, it's my understanding that they said that Hoiberg would pretty much just let Zach Zach Levine have full reign and do whatever the hell he wanted. So not a real good way to uh, coach up an NBA franchise. So yeah, Hoiberg's gone. Bulls assistant Jim Boylan has been tabbed as interim head coach to replace him for now so we'll see who they name as a uh, permanent head coach later on in the season or at the end of the year and then uh, next up Devin Booker he injured him, himself Sunday no timetable for his return this was a right hammy he has faced a bunch of injuries this season he had a toe injury that forced him to miss Friday's game against the Magic and then he also missed three games in October after straining that same hammy in the team's uh Excuse me. Yeah, he ha- uh, missed three games. Um, yeah, uh, for straining that hamstring. Sorry. Okay. Next up, I want to talk about Trey Young for a quick second because a lot of people, and I hate when this happens, it's like the, the Michael Jordan and LeBron James comparisons. Why do you have to compare them to anybody? So, yeah, they're comparing Trey Young to Steph Curry. And it's just nonsense. I wish they wouldn't do it. Yeah, Trey Young is built a little bit like Steph Curry, and he shoots the ball from far distances like Steph Curry. But that's it. This kid is a rookie, a total rookie. So I mean, they asked um, they asked Steve Kerr and Kevin Durant about it, and uh, here's what Steve Kerr had to say. In Oakland, and he did not have his best game, um, but what I saw was um, incredible skill. Um, shooting and passing the ball. Uh, you can tell he's got a lot of confidence in himself. But um, 
I'm sure he was inspired by Steph. It's pretty obvious to see when you watch him play that, uh, that Steph uh, inspired him. He plays like him. But any comparisons have to wait. You have to see how he does over the next couple of years. And, but you also have to remember where Steph was back in 2010. You know, it's uh, Steph's come a long way. And uh, so... Yeah, the, I understand. The- yeah, so I mean, Steve Kerr just looks like he's tired of, of answering questions like this because I'm sure they compare a lot of players to Steph Curry. But he makes a point. He he makes a good point, you know, when he says that, yeah, he shoots like him and he plays like him, but that doesn't mean he is Steph Curry. So just a rookie, you have to wait and see what what he amounts to be. But then they also asked Kevin Durant, and I liked his comments. What he had to say. Here it is. Being compared to Steph um, a lot. Uh, see young players in college now being compared to NBA megastars. I mean, it's unfair to them for one. And everybody's different. You know, just their path, where they grew up, how they grew up, how they grew up playing the game, uh, how they were taught. It's different for everyone. And so you can't expect that same path, that same journey. Uh, I know it's, it's the easy thing to do is to compare young players to players that you only see on TV all the time, but. Um, you know, more so than anything, these guys that you compare to, they, they don't have careers like the best players ever. You right. know, it's more so on a different level. Um, that's why these guys that are so good are unique. You know, you can't compare anybody to them. Uh, I just think you should let everybody be who they are. Yeah, exactly. I like that Durant said that. You know, it's 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 important to know that it's not, he's right, it's not a fair comparison to make for Trey Young because that puts a lot of pressure on him to now try to become Steph Curry, you know, 2.0 or, or what have you. And it's just not fair. And he's right. Why can't they just be themselves? You know, why can't Steph Curry just be Steph Curry and then Trey Young could just be Trey Young? They're two different players. You know, they're not the same. You don't always have to compare. This, player X to player Z, you know, it's just not fair to them. And it puts a lot of pressure on a rookie. So anyway, that that's that. Um, the big news out of the NBA really has been Markel Fultz. Finally, they seem to know what's wrong with this guy. Uh, if you've watched the Sixers at all this year, when Markel Fultz has played, you will know that the former number one overall pick shoots worse than most people's grandmas when it comes to shooting a basketball, which is what you're pretty much, that's what your job is, essentially. So the fact that he hasn't been able to shoot a basketball it is really, really telling. And uh, again, a, f- a few weeks ago on Thursday Night Football, I want to say Amari Cooper, I think the game against uh, the Saints or a game against the Titans, he actually did the uh, he did the Markel Fultz touchdown celebration and shot the ball like him and it was kind of funny but in all seriousness it it looks like Markel Fultz has been dealing with a somewhat serious injury on Tuesday it was announced by Raymond Brothers his his um his I guess it's uh his agent Raymond Brothers it sounds like a furniture store I can't keep getting that out of my head but Raymond Brothers is actually his agent's name he said that he's dealing with TOS or TOS better known to baseball uh, fans as thoracic outlet syndrome. Many, many pitchers in Major League Baseball come down with this injury, and we've seen it in the past. The t- he's going to get f- no surgery. He'll receive physical therapy for this. They're claiming he's only going to be out three to six weeks, but come on, it's a nerve. You, it could take much longer. We never know. And what TOS involves, basically, is compression or irritation in the thoracic outlet, which is the area between the lower neck and upper chest 
Again, it's very common in MLB pitchers. So basically, Matt Harvey, Chris Carpenter, Josh Beckett, and Chris Young, who pitched for a while in baseball. Chris Young actually underwent surgery for it. I just said that Fultz will get physical therapy. Not typically do you go surgery, but with the um, with the pitchers in baseball, granted they're using their arm in a more ferocious way, so they must they they require surgery more times than not. Whereas Fultz just needs, hopefully he just needs the physical therapy. But um, back to Chris Young, he had surgery and he was able to exceed expectations when he came back at the age of 35. And then most notably was Matt Harvey who had this. And this is this is weird because what they do for this injury, because as I said, it comp- it's a compression and uh, it's a compression and irritation in the thoracic outlet, which is between your lower neck and upper chest. So it gives you sort of pain in all those areas. And um, it's interesting because Matt Harvey, when he had surgery for this, he really hasn't been the same since, but um, no longer on the Mets. But he, what they do for the surgery is, and it sounds horribly painful, I mean, they actually remove a part of your rib. They take it out, and then you get to keep it and take it home. And I believe Matt Harvey has it on a shelf as, at his house. But that, I mean, to me, removing part of your rib, that sounds awfully painful. But all these guys that have had this, they all come back, and they've all played, and they've had you know long careers. Harvey's still going, and he's still playing. So, hey, it remains to be seen. I, I think that it's... Uh, We'll see. Hopefully, Fultz gets under control and he could come back and actually shoot a basketball properly. Because as it stands right now, I'll bet a million dollars I could outshoot him all over the court. All right. In a weird, weird story, Derek Fisher has been hired as the head coach of the LA Sparks of the WNBA. Yeah. I mean, no offense to the WNBA, but isn't this kind of rock bottom for Derek Fisher, man? Um, Former five-time NBA champ, coached the Knicks from 2014 to 2016. That was his only head coaching job. It was a disaster, but then again, anyone that coaches the Knicks, it's pretty much a disaster. Had a 13-year NBA career, five, I said that, five-time champ. Uh, he was, fi- he only time he coached and the last time he coached was 2016 when he was fired just before the All-Star break. He compiled a 23-31 and 31 record in that season before being fired. And overall, as a head coach, 40-96 and 96 with the Knicks. So, yeah. Um, then we have, next up, we have Rudy Gobert. This was funny, okay? So he was fined $15,000 for criticizing officials on Tuesday, okay, when he made these comments regarding Sunday's game, uh, loss, 102-100 to 100 loss to Miami. So basically, the game was tied with 3.2 seconds left, and Gobert was called for a foul that sent D-Wade to the line. D-Wade made both free throws, game over, right? Well, Gobert was very mad because he felt Donovan Mitchell's uh, Donovan Mitchell drove on the previous possession, and he thought he got fouled and there was no call. So he was mad. He had words for the refs. Then this all, this all blows up in, uh, to yesterday on Thursday, he was ejected in just, it took three minutes, three minutes to get ejected against the Rockets. He picks up his second, just listen, Reggie Miller uh, plays it out perfectly. Miller comes out on Crowder. They switch. Paul is on Crowder. Shot clock is down to six. There's a player down. And that's two on uh, yeah. Gobert now. That is tough. 
now you got to see if Quinn Snyder is going to come in with Derek Favors. He will. Yes, indeed. Two quick fouls here. Uh oh. Oh, he's going to be thrown out. Well, now he's, he's going to be thrown out. Two fouls on Rudy Gobert. Well, they're going to give him a technical. Technical foul. I'm surprised he is not thrown out for this. Roz was even surprised by that one. Yeah, so Gobert literally gets his second foul, and on his way back to the bench, he's mad. He's got words to say to the officials. He, in anger, he slaps a couple of cups of water onto the court, and I mean, it's only a couple of cups of water. I I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but it was the demonstrative nature, basically calling out the ref, saying "f you." Uh, his coach wasn't happy about the foul call either. He finished the night with two points, one assist, one rebound, and it was the fastest ejection for a starter in the last 15 years. Uh, that's that's insane. He talked to the media after the game. He, he did take total blame, and it was funny. He was on social media, I think, after he got ejected, working out in the weight room Uh at the stadium after he was ejected. So pretty funny there. Okay. Last bit of news. That's it for, uh, uh, actually one more note about the, uh, Brooklyn nets. I want to bring them up for a second because they're my team and they've lost what eight games in a row. Now the other night, uh, they had the, uh, they had the thunder on the ropes and then Paul George happened 20 point lead in the fourth quarter. Paul George, 47 points, hits a dagger three. The nets lose eight straight in. I mean, it's just, it's mind blowing. Nets have lost eight straight, and my uh, Jets have lost six straight. So can't get any worse for me. I just wanted to mention that. So hopefully they play tonight, um, and they could they could get it. They play Toronto. Yeah, they ain't winning tonight against Toronto. Okay, let's move on. Uh, real quick, we'll talk about the NHL. They have uh, been given an another expansion team this time in Seattle. Uh, producer extraordinaire Jerry Bruckheimer, who, I mean, he's produced mega hits. All the CSI franchises without a trace, all those mo- uh, shows on um, CBS and a bunch of hit movies, Armageddon, um, just a bunch, a bunch of hit, hit movies. Everybody knows who Bruckheimer is. He's co- He's now the co-owner of this new team in Seattle. No word yet on a team name, but some of the possibilities include, and I mean, the Vegas odds on these names are crazy, but some... Some of them um, include, let me see, I had it pulled up a second ago. Let me see here. Um, all right, I'll get to that in a second. But yeah, so anyway, they, uh, there it, it's hard though because the NHL has a problem with the fact that the Vegas Golden Knights a season ago were that expansion team and they went all the way to the Stanley Cup Finals. So to try to, they now have to basically try to replicate that, and it's no tall task because that never happens where an expansion team is any good. Uh, but here we go. Here are some of the possible team names. The Seattle Evergreens, the Seattle Sea Lions, the Cougars, the Eagles, the Whales, Renegades, Firebirds, Kraken, just a bunch of uh, names. I don't know when they'll pick the name or the uniform yet, but uh, that's pretty cool. That'll be the 32nd franchise for the NHL. Okay, and then we have our last, we're down to our last segment. That's it. We're done. We're at the last segment here, and it is going to be on this date in sports, of course. So on this date, December 7th, 1963, 
Army versus Navy, it was the first time that instant replay was ever used on a television broadcast. And as the announcer described it to fans, this is not live. Army did not score again. So they had technical difficulties with this. Uh, and they had to, they were only able to get the instant replay work towards the end of the game when Army had scored a touchdown. So they replayed it. And the announcer's like, please, this isn't there. It's not another touchdown. This is just a replay. So that's pretty cool. We've come a long way. Now there's, you know, crazy instant replays. We have slow mo, we have friggin' pylon cams and just, just, Ultra HD, it's it's unbelievable. So uh, and then also, um, it is Terrell Owens' birthday. Mister T O himself turns forty five today. So shout out to Terrell Owens. Okay, that's it. We're gonna wrap this thing. We're gonna wrap this baby up. I will leave you with one final clip, and it's the plays of the week in the NFL Week Thirteen. I believe that is. So enjoy, guys. I will see you next week, Friday. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy your sports. Here it is. So long. See you next week. A first down leaping over people. And open. It's caught for the touchdown. And it's recovered by the Bears. Tariq Cohen with a touchdown pass. And the Bears have come back. And the Giants save it. See, he did not hit the line. Hamilton didn't either. What a job. Behind the defense, it's not Jackson. And intercepted by Harmon. Fitzgerald, the Hall of Famer, may have just saved the day for the Cardinals. Mark at the 10, at the 5, he's in the end zone. Mighty Mouse goes. And this is where he says that he's become smarter. But that was a clear throwaway by Andrew Luck. Brady moves up off the staff. Yeah. He's going to have a first down into the side nice. across midfield. The only reason I've been playing 19 years is to get to that 1,000 yards. And I did it, so 